This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Good morning, Commission. How are we doing today? It is uh, so good to see all of you this um, this day, uh, especially this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I hope you guys had a great time with, with family and had just a time to reflect on God's goodness in your lives. Um, it was a, a special time for, for me and this morning especially because uh, my family is actually here today for the first time. I, I think everyone's here. Uh, my parents are here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my dad had been um, just going through dialysis for the last four years and Earlier this year, he had a kidney transplant, um, un- unexpected. We ran to the hospital. Uh, everything went well, and this is actually one of the first events that he's getting to come to after. So, thank you guys for being here, my brother. Thank you. Praise God. Uh, my brother Bryce is here um, from Austin, and, and his wife Robin, and his children. And it's just super special to be able to to share this moment with them here. I just want to thank Pastor Ash, Pastor Sonia. Um, he has had, as as you saw, he's had such a profound impact on my life. And it was really interesting how God kind of connected us uh, back then. And for a while, we just we kind of you know we're doing our own things in ministry and. For, for God to, to, to reunite us here at Commission, it's been one of the greatest things that's happened in my life. And so I just want to thank you for your leadership as well. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all the, the things out of the way. It's so much different speaking than leading worship. Uh, this is so out of my element. Um, I, I just ask that you would pray for me while you're there and give me gr- grace. Uh, the worship side of it I've been doing since I was like 12, so that kind of comes second nature. I'm not always great at it, but it's a little bit easier to do this. Uh, it's easy to stand up in front of a classroom of high schoolers because, one, they have to be there. Two, I'm kind of the adult in the room. There's authority. Here, I mean, uh, this, is, this is new ground for me, so uh, just bear with me. Um, but I'm really excited, and, and I'm honored to be here this morning. Um, when Pastor first asked me to take this time... Um, I, was, I was nervous uh, because, again, like I said, this is not uh, my comfort zone, but I accepted and uh, I just prayed and I was like, God, what, uh, what is it that you want me to, to speak to the church? What do, you, what do you want? Because, again, this is, I'm not, I, I'm sure for, for pastor or for people who speak regularly, they just pray and I'm sure they get something right away and they, they go with it. I need time. So, like, this has been brewing for a minute. Um, but if you know anything about me and the way that I operate, uh, my wife will tell you this. I'm someone who, um, I don't know if this is just a, a quirk that I have or if this is how God speaks to me, but I'll have random like ideas or thoughts or melodies of song that will pop in my head. And I'm someone who I quickly grab my phone and, and I, I jot it down. I use my notepad. I have notes from six or seven years ago that I've never done anything with, but it was just a, a thought that I had in the moment that I'm like, I'm just going to stash this away for a day if needed. Or I have voice memos. Uh, literally on my phone, one of the quick action buttons is the voice memo app. I'll, I'll be standing here sometimes in worship, uh, worshiping, and something will come to me, and I'll just, if you ever see me with my, with, my, with my phone to my mouth during worship, I'm not on a call. I'm recording a melody just in case God wants to do something with it. 
And so just a few months ago, I remember sitting here in the sanctuary, and pastor was preaching, and I just really felt the Lord pressing something on my heart. And so I quickly grabbed my phone, I put it in my notepad, and honestly, I, I kind of forgot about it. I, I, like I said, my, my memory is not great. And so I, I forgot about it, didn't do much with it. And so when I was praying to the Lord to give me a word for today, the same idea that I felt when I was sitting here continued to press on my heart. And I was hesitating because for, for, two, for two reasons. Um, one of the things is that lately, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but maybe it's because it was fresh on my mind. Some of the sermons that we had been hearing over the last couple of weeks had touched on particular topics that had been involved in the thing that I was preparing to write. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, one of the elders here, Jerry, spoke about the good life and what that means for the Christian. Two weeks ago, pastor spoke about standing firm and not swaying with the wind and, and being true to your convictions and who you are. And so as I sat there and there were amazing sermons, I, I asked God two questions. One, God, are you sure you want me to speak on this? Because clearly you covered it. But number two, God, what are we doing as a church that you feel the need to continually bring these topics up? And even though I hesitated from it, I, I really felt in my spirit that God was wanting me to move in this direction. And so I want to preface it by saying this. Today is not going to be a motivational feel-good talk, all right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you came here this morning. If you're a guest, I'm so glad you're here. You probably picked the wrong week. Um, t t today is a topic that makes me nervous to speak about because I think I may step on some toes. Because I myself was incredibly convicted the last two weeks especially that I've been spending in the Word. I think God has really been challenging me, myself, and I wanted to make sure that anything I say up here on this stage is not something that I have taken to heart myself. And so I pray that you will bear with me um, and, and you will have an open heart this morning. Uh, is anyone in here familiar with the brand True Brand? Anyone heard of the brand True Brand? A few, of you, a few people in here have. Um, for those of you that don't know, a few years ago, three years ago, there were these three guys who got together and they wanted to create a product that represented two things going on. They wanted to represent a product that represented their city, and they also wanted to represent the time that we were in. Because if you think about it, three years ago, 2020, we were in the pandemic. And they felt that the world felt upside down, that things were just completely on its head. And so these three guys came together and they created a product that even if you've never heard of the brand, I'm sure most of you all in, in, in here have seen, and it is the Dallas hat. If you guys have seen it, a lot of us in here tend to wear it. It's where Dallas is, is written upside down uh, on the hat. And I remember the first time I saw this hat was actually uh, during a post-game comp uh, press conference from the, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. If you don't know, he's actually involved in the company. And he wore this. And I remember online seeing comments of, Man, what is this? Like, is he dissing Dallas because Dallas is upside down? Like, what is this supposed to represent? But it was new, and no one could understand it. Uh, but, but, but sure enough, I don't know if it's because of his popularity as, as the quarterback of the Cowboys, uh, people started to buy it. And what was, one, something that people did not understand. I, mean, I remember people being like, this is such a, a dumb design. No one can read it. Um, I actually owned the hat, and I, I legit had a student look at me and said, does that say salad? And I'm like, yes, I, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing the word salad on my head. Good. 
good context clues there. But it's a hat that if you're not either really like, uh, I don't know, just, just really up to date on things, if you don't really know it, on first glance, it may not be easy to understand what that hat represents. Or if you're from a different city, right? In Dallas, it's become kind of the norm. We see it around, we know it. But if, if I go up north, they may honestly, it may take them a second to understand what the hat even says. But what started to happen was that more and more people were wearing it and that because it was more common, people were buying into it. And they're like, oh, I kind of like that. Oh, that's kind of fashionable. Oh, that represents my city. And so more and more people started to buy it and became readily available. And as it grew, the company itself, which initially started out with just a few colorways, it, it, it blew up. And there are different types of hats. There's different colors, different materials. They, they uh, joined up with some other teams, the stars, and they really stepped out of their box when they teamed up with the Rangers. Instead of saying Dallas upside down, they put Texas. But uh, they, they, they really stepped out of their box, and now this brand is pretty well recognized. What was once not understood became common, and, and it became more recognizable, and it was customized to people's likes and their preferences. And I felt that that way for a while, because it really struck me that day when I, I wore it to school, because we have hat days occasionally for teachers, and for those of you that don't know, I'm a teacher, and I, I wore it, and I, I've had a lot of kids ask me about it, and they, they, for some reason, this hat was, wasn't getting through. And that day, I just sat back, and I felt for a while that sometimes when it comes to the Word of God, the way we ingest, we process, and we accept the Bible and the gospel may not be exactly the way it was intended to be. That sometimes on first glance, when someone looks at us and the way we speak about the word, the way we live our Christian life, they may not truly understand our identity in Christ because we have distorted it and we have flipped it upside down and we have changed things from the way that God intended it to be. Because here's the truth, guys. The West, and you're going to notice that today, I, I mentioned a lot of the West because that's all really I can speak to. But the West has adopted a lifestyle and a drive for comfort. It's something that I hear all the time when I'm scrolling on my Instagram reels, when I'm uh, seeing, look, searching for podcasts to listen to, even some people that I know that I'm very close to, the word that always comes to mind or I hear is the word hustle. We're going to hustle. We're going to hustle. We're going to work hard. We're going to play hard. We're going to do all these things. We're going to make the most money that we can. We're going to buy the most lavish of things that, honestly, we probably either can't afford or shouldn't waste our money on. We want to have enough to retire comfortably and have tons later in life, even though five minutes from now is not guaranteed. And this lifestyle, which at once may have not been the norm, at some point in the evolution of our society and the way that wealth has become just grown in our society and in our lives, it has started to become normalized for people. And people have taken this and been like, oh, this is okay because this is what everyone does. And because everyone else does it, I'm going to adopt it and I'm going to personalize it in a way that fits me. And everything in our society and everything in our story is about us. We are the protagonists. And I know for a few of you guys, it has been a minute since you've been in an English classroom. So let me, let me remind you, the protagonist in a story, the protagonist in a story is the main character. It is who the story revolves around. 
It's not always a superhero villain. It's, sometimes there are movies that are about the villain. They are the protagonist. They are the main character. And oftentimes when we look at our lives, the way we live our lives, we are the protagonists in our own story. And our friends and our family and all the things are supporting characters. And, and again, this is, I feel like I'm at my English classroom. Supporting characters are there in order to help the protagonist accomplish whatever it is in the story. They are not there to be the, the spotlight. They are just there to support to, for the story to eventually get to the place for the protagonist to go. And unfortunately, many of us have made Jesus a supporting character. It's upside down, guys. Many of us live our lives where we, the story's about me. It's, it's me-centered. It's I-centered. The world revolves around us. We are meant to be number one. We are meant to be the most successful person in our friend circles. I want to have the biggest house. I want to have the best cars. I want to have the biggest and, and grandest of promotions because the world revolves around me. And I guess if you really want to extend it, the world is about our family. But as I take a step back, and again, guys, this is God speaking to me the last few weeks, I notice more and more that in all of those, those things where everything is me-centered, it's not the way Jesus designed it to be. And I often find myself perplexed at where this view has come from. If we have truly understood the walk, the journey, the life of a Christian. Church, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We will be in verse 23 to 27 today. And this is a really, really, really common piece of scripture. I know myself, I have heard dozens upon dozens of sermons on this topic. And so this might be you today too, and you may be, oh, here we go again. It's this talk again. But I pray that you would sit there with an open heart. And my prayer would be that if you've never heard something on this, that God would reveal something to you this morning. And even if it is something that you've heard countless times, that God would use this to remind you of something new and something you need to hear. Verse 23 reads, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Bow your heads with me. Father, I just thank you so much for the word. I pray, God, that we would understand the meaning and the true way that you have designed our lives to be. And I pray, God, that this word would pierce hearts this morning. God, I pray that nothing I say would be outside of your will, that you would speak to me, you would speak through me this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. And verse 23 says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. Verse 23 makes it clear that this teaching is not specifically just for the 12, but it's for all of us. There are, guys, I, I, this is something that I, I've seen happen a lot, and I've had conversations with people 
there are a lot of times that we take things and stories in the Bible that were meant for a particular person or for a particular reason. And like I said, we're just so self-centered. We make ourselves the center of that story. And, and, and there are times where we, like the, the stories in the Bible, the things in the Bible are not meant for that. This is one though, where he says to anyone who would come after me. And in verse 21 and 22, uh, right before this, we're not going to read it, but it says, Jesus foretells of his death. He tells his disciples of what is going to happen. The fact that he is about to suffer and that he is about to die and that he is going to be raised back to life in three days. So these disciples are sitting there, not only having to sit with the weight that it carries in itself, because this is not at all what they expected. If you've been in the church, we know it. We know that Jesus came to die for the sins of man. But at this time, this Messiah that they have been waiting for, this is not what they, this is not what they were expecting. They had no concept that this Messiah was going to have to suffer and die. And now not only do they have to accept that and understand that, but now they have to carry the weight of they must go through the same. And so what does this mean? What does it really mean for us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross? And what I want to be careful of this morning, church, is to not apply our associations with these ideas in order to understand it. Because I think we may misconstrue what Jesus is saying here. You see that with both deny and take up his cross. And what I mean by this is this. For example, deny himself, that phrase, deny himself. We may see this and think about ways that we already, as humans, pursue self-denial. Because we know that deny himself refers to us and what we want. So based on this understanding, we add this, again, English term, direct object to it to make it deny himself things. So the way God designed it, hey, to deny yourself, but we naturally go to what we know, deny himself things. I deny myself things most often when I'm on a diet, when I'm trying to lose weight. For some reason, I pick the most inopportune times to do so. It's usually, for some reason, Teacher Appreciation Week, which if y'all don't know, kids just bring you candy and cake and stuff like that, and you can't like say no to it. You can't give it away because you feel guilty, so you eat it, so you lose all your progress. But for some reason, the second time that I always pick is this time of year, November and December. For some reason, I start to think that it's, it's time to eat clean. It's time to work out, to be a better me, you know, new year, new me, whatever that means. But before the new year, I'm going to do my best to deny myself of things that will stop that progress, like sugar, like soda, like that second bowl of cereal. Um, and, and this past Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving, while everyone was enjoying food, we had a great time with, with both of our families. It took everything in me to not go for that second slice of pie, everything. And notice how I said second slice, not first slice. I'm going to have my dessert. But if you know anything about my love of sweets, you know this is incredibly difficult. Because this time of year is my favorite. I don't know about you guys, but I loved waking up and seeing that the forecast was like in the 50s and the 40s. That is me, sweater weather, I'm all about it. You summer people, God bless you. But, but this is my time. There's something in the air this time of year. There's something about the, uh, the hot chocolate, the sweets, the pumpkin spice lattes, which I completely regret looking up this week because I found out that the grandes are over 50 grams of sugar. Do with that what you will. But I deny myself of these things Except that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And also, if you go to the next phrase, bearing your cross can also be misunderstood. 
It's used in such a wide variety of situations. Sometimes it's used in jest. For example, as a Texas Longhorn fan, being married to an Oklahoma Sooners fan is my cross to bear. It's tough, guys. It's tough, especially this year when Oklahoma barely won. But sometimes it's also used in many dire situations. It's just a phrase. And what's interesting, I thought about this this week. I know many, many non-believers who use this phrase as well. It's interesting how some things that are tied to Christianity seep into uh, non-believers, and yet they, they claim there is no God. Moving on. Uh, and many times we tend to immediately associate anything that is unpleasant with a cross. And what's dangerous about this, I want to make something very clear. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong in itself. But what's dangerous is that these are all based on partial truths. And when you're trying to understand anything just on a partial truth, you can miss that on the totality of the meaning. And so what does this verse here really mean? I want to I make it very clear. I am by no means a scholar. I know very little when it comes to the languages and the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff. I, I leave that for the experts. But this week, my ESV study Bible and Google were my friends. And as I was doing research, the Greek verb that's translated here as to deny is aparneomai. Okay, I had to YouTube how to pronounce it. Aperneomai is the Greek word that is used here. And this word almost always has overtones of association or connection to a person. So while we naturally tend to go towards denying of things, the word that's actually used here is more often towards people. Denial in the New Testament is the intentional disassociation from relationship to a particular person. Do you want to know another instance in scripture where this is found? Again, Google helped me realize this. It is when Peter denies Jesus. When Peter tells him, I do not know this man. I've never been with this man. He is using this word, aperneomai. And this is the same word that is used here that we are to do ourselves. Self-denial then is the intentional disowning of the self or stepping away from relationship with the self as primary. Because church, I hate to break it to you, we are not the main character in our story. We are not. And if you struggle with that, you need to ask yourself this question. Who is my allegiance to? Is it to Jesus or is it to myself? And moving to take up his cross and following me, during this time when someone was sentenced to be crucified, they were forced to carry their cross. I mean, I think about just how brutal that is, that they must carry the tool that is going to be used in their own execution. And, and, and the more I listen to people studying about crucifixion, it is probably one of the most barbaric ways to die. So much so that I, I found it very interesting that they did not even use it on their own people because it was so inhumane. I actually also found out that the word excruciating finds a lot of its meaning from the idea of crucifixion and how terrible it is. And when someone was forced to be crucified, they were forced to pick up their cross, and they were aware that there, this is a one-way road to death. There is no coming back. No one ever picked up the cross and, and went to the place that they were supposed to go and then came back and dropped off the cross and said, all right, I'm going to call it a day and go home. That never happened. They knew that once they picked up that cross, they were headed to their death. Carrying the cross was not optional. They didn't sign up for it. It was enforced on them. But juxtapose that with what Jesus is saying here. Carrying it will not be enforced. 
It will not be something that is handed to you upon salvation. Because I think about my seven or eight-year-old self who said, I accept the Lord as my personal savior. And imagine what it would be like. I don't think I could have handled a cross being thrown my way and say, all right, prince, seven-year-old, follow me now. I could not have handled it. It is not enforced on anyone. But rather, it is a voluntary act of submission, of saying, God, you are now primary in my life. I accept you as Lord. So even though I don't want you, because we are humans of the path of least resistance, right? We don't want suffering. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to feel pain. But when you truly want to follow Jesus, the world won't tell you this, but when you truly want to follow Jesus, suffering is a part of it. And I, I'm sorry, I know that's hard to hear, but suffering, and not just suffering in general like the world does, but suffering for Christ is a part of it. And when we accept Jesus, when we truly love Jesus, when we truly want to follow him, we are voluntarily picking up that cross and saying, God, I don't want to do this, but because you are primary in life, I pledge my allegiance to you. Now I will follow. And when you look at verse 23, notice that deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me are what we in the English teacher world called parallel structure. That is where these things are listed back to back to back to show equal value or equal importance. So while we know we must follow Christ, we all know it. We sing the songs, we say the lingo, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a believer. That's all good. But just know that in this verse, it makes it clear that while you must follow Christ, it is equally important to take up your cross. And while it's also equally important to take up your cross, it's equally important to deny yourself. And what's cool about this is in this piece of scripture, in verse 23, we see a command, but we are not like many parents, and, and I'm speaking of, I'm sure I'll be like this one day, where when our kid asks us why, Pastor kind of referenced it ironically enough a little bit earlier, why? Why are we doing this? Because I said so. Just do it. And, and if anything, Jesus of all people has the authority to do that. But Jesus gives his command in 23, but then he tells us why. He explains why we should deny ourselves, take up the cross, and to follow him. Let's look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus says that we must suffer the loss of our life in order to gain it. What a paradoxical statement. The world's perspective is that in order for us to live the life, if you are going to be happy, we must be true to ourselves. Stay firm to who you are. I remember in high school, uh, there was a song that was really popular, and embarrassingly, I think I bopped to it in the car. It's, listen to your heart when he's calling for you. No, no. why would I listen to something that is so fickle? Something that changes here, and then the next second is somewhere else. That at one moment, I find the passion to start a YouTube channel reviewing movies, and then six videos later, my heart moves on to more important things, I guess. But absolutely not. I'm not going to listen to this fickle heart. It's such an upside-down perspective that the world has tricked us into believing that we're actually seeing right set up, but we're not. No, instead, I will listen to Jesus and what he calls me true. I will be true to Jesus, the only constant, unchanging, steady rock in my life, because that is where I find true life. And for people like me, that can be difficult. My friends will tell you, my wife will tell you, I'm a bit type A, a bit being a bit of an understatement. I like everything in my life to be planned out. 
just as an example, we didn't have a wedding planner. We were wedding planners. I did a lot of the wedding planning because I was like, nope, I want things to be the way I want it to be. It's a problem. I understand that. Uh, but every week, my wife and I, Nicole, we have a conversation usually on our long trek home back to Forney. And we, she, I'm driving, she pulls out the calendar, and we talk about what this week looks like, what we got going on each day, so much so that we plan out what we are eating for lunch and dinner every day, Monday through Friday. And I know parents are sitting here laughing at me like, yeah, enjoy that now while you can. <laughs> Trust me, I am. But that's just, that's just my personality. But it can creep into other areas of my life. God, I want to lord over my finances. I want to be in charge of the trajectory of my life and my family's life. I can say, yeah, God, I trust you. I can stand up here and lead worship and be like, yeah, God, I trust in God, my Savior. But the moment my life goes off script, that becomes way harder to sing in truth. Church, let me tell you that this is something that God has been challenging in me over the last couple of weeks. That God has been rattling my cages, shaking up my ground causing anxiety and fear and worry and uncertainty, every part of me, sorry, <clears throat> wanting to try and save it, only to know that my life is not my own and he is in charge of my life. And here's the truth of it. When we cling to the promises of the world and all it has to offer, we are risking losing our life and that is no small thing. John 12, 25, and it's not up there, but, but listen, John 12, 25 says, whoever loves his life, thank you, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Church, that means forever. Living it up for the glory of the world for a few decades here on earth, all to squander eternity with him. To put this into context, that is not at all equivalent. I get it. It's not equivalent to what's happening here, but some people need a visual in their head. If I walk up to you and I hand you a $100 bill and I say, hey, here is it's free. There's no charge. Take this. Do with it what you will. Enjoy it. It'll probably be way more like, useful for little kids because $100 as adults don't, doesn't go a long way in this economy. But um, we find out that we can blow it on whatever we want because free money is the best money. And, and there's not that guilt there of using it. But what if I then told you, but uh, here's $100, but then I get to keep every dollar you will ever make in the future. We would all look at that and say, this is not a good proposition. You're sacrificing your future for a temporary win now. And when you give in to the pleasures of the world, when you disobey what God has called you to because it inconveniences your pleasures, know that you are sacrificing everything for a temporary momentary win. There's one of my favorite illustrations. It's by this man, uh, this pastor I look up to. I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Pastor Francis Chan uses this powerful example of he has like this 50-foot rope and it's a white rope and he carries it on stage and the, the, the audience is just looking at the length of the rope, and he holds up just the very tip of the rope, and he has colored it in red. And he says, church, would you agree with me that this is such a small, minuscule, almost meaningless point of this rope, that if I cut it off, it's still perfectly usable? And they say, yeah. And he said, this represents your life here on earth. This little bit, not even half an inch, represents it, and the rest of these 50 feet represents what's ahead of you. And what you do here on earth, what you do in that little bit of space impacts what happens in the rest of eternity. And the truth of the matter is that God has called us to obedience to him. 
Let's read John chapter 14, verse 21. And the New Living Translation says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Those who keep my commandments are those who love me. And what has he called us to do? To stand firm in Christ, to proclaim his goodness and his faithfulness, to go and share this good news and to not keep it to ourselves, to go and make disciples and to baptize them. Context later in the scripture reveals that his command is to not be ashamed of him and his words. And that is increasingly difficult today because standing firm in many of the beliefs that a Christian has is so difficult because it goes against the upside-down perspective of right that the world has adopted. Standing firm in our beliefs in God, in the way he designed men and women to be, in the way he designed true love and marriage to look like, in the way he said to love your neighbors and to love those who persecute you, standing firm for many of these things gets you called somewhat of an outcast in society. You're given all the labels. You can be canceled because you don't necessarily fall in line with status quo. But Jesus reminds us in John 14 that those who keep his commandments are those who love him. By the way, notice how he doesn't say those who fight with others, those who don't post aggressive or passive aggressive things on social media. He doesn't say that. He doesn't need you to defend him. He needs you to stand firm in what he has called you to. He says that those who accept and obey his commandments are the ones who love me. Those who are not ashamed of what God has called us to, and those that stand firm in it are, uh, are the ones who save their lives. And those who keep his commands, who suffer for the gospel of Jesus, those are the ones who save their lives in eternity. Let's look at verse 25 and 26. For what is a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. In a world where we are pushed and bombarded with the idea that certain numbers in your bank account, a certain status in community or in our circles, certain images on social media, a certain lifestyle that fits into the all too comfortable American dream, this is what life is about, or so they say. This is gaining the world. But church, I need to ask you, what does this come at the cost of? Working hour upon hour after hours and losing time with your family. Or even worse, sacrificing your morality in order to earn the extra buck. Creating a perfect world on Instagram to hide the cracks in your personal life. To live the life that's comfortable because when you're comfortable, you've made it. And when you've made it, you feel like you're on top of the world. And when you're on top of the world, there is no room for God in that picture. And when there is no room for God in that picture, everything in that picture is no longer worth it. This is the crux of what I'm trying to get at, church. The Western perspective has been flipped upside down for far too long, and our world clings to this perspective of luxury, comfort, attending church when it's convenient with your brunch plans, praying only when you need something, Jesus being pushed to the background and other idols capturing your gaze. We strive for the comfortable life, and we here in the West, we've attained that. No matter what level of the economic sphere you're in, we have attained a level of comfort that so many across the world would pray and cry for. But comfort can often rob us of our love and our devotion, our passion, our zeal, our dependence on Jesus. 
I was having a conversation with someone who works with missions overseas, and he was mentioning these amazing crusades of tens of sometimes tens of thousands of people worshiping Jesus from night to morning, sometimes from sunrise to sunset. And And I had to stop, and I had to ask myself, you don't think that they have work that they need to do? You don't think that they have kids who make noises in those crusades? You think that they don't have kids who want to do other activities outside of their time, but they bring them anyway? You think that they don't want to, and listen to me, they don't want to have time to rest from many of them hard, physical labor. You think they don't want to sit at home on their couch with their legs propped up watching Netflix instead of spending time with the Lord? Why? They come out in droves to worship their master because there isn't comfort there to blind them to their need for Jesus. They know that the way is Jesus and only Jesus. And this is not, please please understand my heart, this is not me trying to call out anyone here or bash anyone. Like I said, I am guilty of everything I am preaching. But I think, church, it's time to have a heart check. What is our perspective on God and the Christian life? Who is our allegiance to? I think it's important for us to do this because I know, and I know this makes people uncomfortable to accept, but it's clear in Scripture, not everyone who claims the title of Christian will enter eternity. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and I'm getting ready to close. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And it reads like this, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Church, it is all too easy for us to follow the droves of what this Christian life looks like. Because when we have it, when we have, and don't get me wrong, guys, money, is, we need to, to work hard to set our, like, that is not at all what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to get at is when that becomes our priority, when me trying to control every aspect of my life and my future and my kids' futures and everything is me trying to lord over it, what we're doing is we are, we are buying into this upside-down perspective that the world has adopted. And so what do we do? We see the masses going this, uh, the masses going this way. So what am I going to do? All right. Well, the masses are doing it, and they're Christians. They go to whatever church, uh, commission church, whatever. They... I'm going to follow them. And so we start to follow. And we're like, oh, man, everything is great. I'm blessed. Uh, You know, everything is good. I've got all this money in my account. I was able to buy my kid. You know, I have students who are are driving these, like, Teslas and stuff as their first cars. And I'm like, my goodness. Like, like I cannot, I, I cannot even fathom what that is like. And, again, if you can do it, you know, go for it. But what I'm trying to get at is when we just blindly follow what the world has told us, we're doing what Matthew chapter 7, 13 says. We are entering the gate that is wide. Why? Because the gate that's wide, it's easy. It's comfortable, right? If I'm going to try to fit into a space, I'm not going to go into a space where there might be a little bit of pull or tug on me. I'm going to go through the one of uh, the path of least resistance. And so what the world is doing, church, there are people, whether that's you, whether that's your coworkers, your friends, there are people who claim Jesus in name but not in relationship. They love everything that comes with being a Christian, especially here in the Bible Belt. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, all that good stuff. 
But what they do is they're following the masses of living this life of comfort, never being willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus, never being willing to stand firm in their convictions because that would, not, that, that, that would shake some people up, that would step on some toes, and I'm not willing to do that. And church, my prayer this morning is that you are someone uh, who is willing to, if you've been following the crowd, that's fine. That was me. That's willing to say, you know what? It's not too late. And to step out from the, the crowd and say, that path is way narrower. That path seems way more difficult. That path is going to make me uncomfortable. I may have to give up some of my luxury, my lifestyle. My parents, my kids may suffer, but that is worth it because I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And here's the, here's the truth of it. Those who find it are few. Church, I love every single one of you in here. I love you guys, but I really felt, and again, I pushed back on the Holy Spirit of I, I kind of want to just do an easy Thanksgiving sermon, but I, I feel like this is for someone, and I know it's for me. Saying that you're a Christian, posting really nice Instagram stories about verses, Jesus is going to look at that one day and be like, yeah, yeah, but, but what did you really do? What did you really suffer for my name? Because posting an Instagram verse that, you know, uh, whatever, trusting God, blessed, all that stuff. I'm not saying not to do that. I will do it too. Anything I can to get the word out there. But that is not enough. Church, if Sunday mornings is your only time with the Lord, I'm telling you, there's something wrong in that equation. We had this saying that we say in our worship team that I love. We worship, we serve out of a place of overflow. And what that means is that Monday through Saturday, I am communing with the Lord. I am with the Lord and thanking him for his goodness. And out of that overflow, we minister here on stage. And church, I, I, I'm telling you, it is not too late. If Sunday mornings, I know life is hard. If you have kids and all the things going on and your work is stressful. But I'm telling you, Jesus must be number one in your life because your work, your income, your, the, the loved ones in life, that can all disappear in an instant. But the only one who has been there from the beginning of time and will be there till the end of time is Jesus and Jesus alone. Church, would you stand to your feet with me? Commission Church, may we not be a people who go with the flow and fall in line with others and their upside-down perspectives. An upside-down perspective makes things distorted or unrecognizable. But when our perspective is flipped right side up, we are able to see clearly in the way that God designed it to be. And when our perspectives are clear, we understand God and the truth of the gospel a little bit better. It becomes clear that Jesus is worth denying ourselves to. Jesus is worth picking up our cross for and following. Church, Jesus is worth losing our lives for. And I don't say that lightly. He is worth losing our lives for. He is worth the suffering because our reward is being with Jesus in eternity. And that is the greatest reward of all for the believer. Church, as we do every week, we're gonna pray and we're gonna close here. I'm gonna invite the prayer partners to come forward, Kristenis, if you would. 
And, and we're going to pray and we're going to close here. And if you need to leave, that's fine. We understand. But we always leave this time available for those that are needing prayer, those that just need someone to talk to, or those that just need to kind of sit in that for a moment. If you felt a prickling on your heart, if you felt like I'd said something that may have stung the wrong way, I want to challenge you to do a heart perspective. It's never too late, church. It doesn't matter the way you've been living life, the way you've been approaching your Western comfort, the way your perspective has been. It is never too late to flip that perspective right side up. So if you need prayer, I invite you or let's worship. Um, Church, if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth, the often hard to hear truth, God, that you have called us to something more than what we are just doing on an everyday basis, God that you have called us, God, that the life of a Christian, the true life of a Christian is difficult. But God, you have assured us and you have reminded us, God, that it is worth it. God, I am willing, I am willing for my plans, Lord, to not play out. I am willing, God, as hard as it is, for the things that I thought my future would hold, God, if that and me clinging to that means I don't get eternity with you, God, I pray that you would rip it away right now. And I pray, God, that you would pierce some hearts this morning and reveal yourself and your goodness and your worth to us. I thank you, God, for this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Church, let me do the benediction, then you're welcome to leave or stay. So church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance your direction. And may he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.